Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's talk about the first coil of Bahamut. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't. I actually don't know what that means either. Welcome to Game Life Balance US, a lifestyle podcast about how to be a grown-up gamer and still go to work and get sleep. With your hosts, Cody Goff, Hello, here's hell. And Jonathan Martin. You're going to be my meat in my Jonathan sandwich. Check out our website at gamelifebalance.us, where you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, YouTube, and more. I'm Stargate Pioneer from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the Guinea Geek Network, just like the one you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeek.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in three... And I'm Cody Goff, and this is Jonathan Martin. And as a quick little refresh and introduction to any new listeners, I'm a full-time marketer. John is a full-time pharmacist. He has a wife and a kid. I do not. And we both, though, have very limited time to play video games. So over the last year, we didn't play 30 or 40 or 50 games. We're going to kind of give our top like five from 2016 because I think I only played five games. Generally, when we do a top five, it is because those are the five games that we played. And in my experience, that is that's actually not true for me. But in years past, it has gone that way. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) so we're going to go kind of go full gamer. In this episode, because we're just going to go way into video games. Usually we get into a bit more lifestyle stuff, but for this particular episode, I want to focus a little bit on games, suggest what you could or should buy or play or whatever, including some cheaper games because they came out before 2017, and uh, we'll we'll generally have a good time. We're also going to mention how many hours of each game we've played so you have an idea of how much we did, because reviewers, you never know. Some are like, oh, I played 14 hours of Final Fantasy XII and I gave it 10 stars, when it's like a 300-hour game. We don't do that. Well, sometimes we do, but but not always. So, uh, yeah, anything to add? Yeah, just before we start, I'm looking at these at these times on here and i feel like i played way more video games than this but maybe i didn't because i just pulled all these times so we'll we'll talk about that as we go all right cool i so, just feel inadequate, I I feel inadequate we'll just... looking at your times they're just they're they're massive they're just they're <laughs> huge they're huge i think a couple of the times okay. are a little yeah. skewed for re- oh, and I never, I didn't actually put for Phantom Breaker. It's actually going to be like three hours. So there you go. That that should that should even it out. So we'll do our top five games of 2016, plus what lessons we learned about balancing video games with our lifestyles, and what we're looking forward to in 2017. And I will let you start with your number five. So I'm torn because uh, earlier in the year, around the summertime, if you listen to a couple of our episodes, I talked about uh, this little indie title called Kentucky Route Zero. And if you remember anything about that game, I said it's kind of like a, it's kind of like this really uh, minimalistic, uh, kind of pixel graphic-y David Lynch style story. If you remember me saying that, you also I also pointed out that it's Route Zero. Sure, Kentucky Route Zero. It's like Route sixty six. You don't say get your kicks on Route sixty six. You say get your kicks on Route sixty six. 
Right, but if our listener wants to check out Kentucky Route Zero, they'll probably type in R-O-O-T because that's how you spell root, whereas route you cannot misspell unless you're doing R-O-U-T, which is not as commonly used. Point is, is I played, I, I played the first four acts of this game thinking that it was a fully finished game when I bought it. Um, I actually got it on a Humble Bundle type thing, and uh, I'd heard awesome things about it, so I wanted to play it. Anyway, it's purely story-based. There's, like, no fail states at all in the game, so you can't lose at all in anything. And it's just a game where you um, kind of frame characters. Like, the story moves on, and you just kind of pick what the characters say to each other and kind of how conversations flow. And it's super cool and super interesting, but I, I don't know if it counts... Because technically the game is not released yet. I mean, it for me it counts because it's a game that I played this year that I really enjoyed. But it wasn't the full game. So I just don't know if I can count it to my games of the year. If I could count it, I feel like I am artificially kind of kind of nixing it myself. But I feel like it gets an honorable mention here. Because I remember how excited I was to wake up every morning. Because it was, I'm still doing this, where I wake up at 4 a.m., but I, I I was excited to wake up and play the next chapter because it's it's kind of broken up into acts. And I was super excited to play the next act every single day that I played it. And I even artificially slowed myself down from playing it and would only allow myself to play one act a day because I wanted to kind of make it last and and extend it out. So it was it's really cool. And I'm super pumped for Act 5 whenever it comes out. All right, so Kentucky Route Zero gets the honorable mention. So what were you between that? So what gets you number five then? So my number five then officially goes to Gears of War four, which I haven't had it the I haven't really had I haven't really had the ability to talk about it yet. I did mention it briefly in another episode. I talked about Horde mode, um, which really disappointed me because it was kind of the whole reason I bought the game, um, and I couldn't get a, a game of it going pretty much ever because people would just keep dropping out. <laughs> the but, multiplayer, yeah, you said it was but, messed up. Yeah, it was messed up. But the single player was a good enough Gears of War experience. And it for some reason, Gears of War is like my shooter. It's like my third-person shooter that for some reason it just sucks me in, whether it be the world or just the feel of the game or whatever. It's a game that I, I have to play every one of the iterations of the main game of it. Um and Gears of War 4 is awesome. It is like another Gears game. It They change it up pretty significantly by having you fight robots, which which are completely different in terms of how they act, uh, how the artificial intelligence works with them compared to the Lambent, which have been like the the villains for the first three games. So the game still it still feels like a Gears game while feeling different enough to be justified. Hmm. So I really liked it. And... Um, I, it is the kind of game that I, it could be one of those games that was the only game that I played for months, if I could consistently get multiplayer matches working in the way that I wanted them to. But they kind of, Gears, I feel like Gears screwed up a little bit in that the original Horde mode, which again, the reason I bought this game was Horde mode, the original Horde mode was just you and some dudes, or ladies, um, facing 50 waves of, of, Enemies. That was it. And you could restart if you died, etc. In Gears of War 3, they introduced this mechanic where you can, like, set up defenses. And it kind of artificially complicated the 
the whole experience of playing Horde mode. And it made it, in my opinion, it made it worse. So I think it's become a little too cumbersome for people that just want to get in and shoot some stuff and get out again. Because in between waves, you have to set up defenses and make sure that things are repaired and blah, blah, blah. And it just kind of takes away some of the the get in and gun stuff down that Gears of War had before. But it still rules. This one I put 12 hours into. And I would say eight of it was probably the main campaign. I probably completed the main campaign in eight. And then four was spent playing two full games of Horde mode total in my like eight attempts at trying to get a game going. Cool. All right. That was my number five. What is your number five? First, I have to mention an honorable mention. And the honorable mention... Final Fantasy thirteen too. It's actually... So you're close. You're off by a few. Final Fantasy fifteen is my honorable mention. And the reason is I'm only 40 hours into it. That's significant. That's a lot of You think so, but... I have so many complicated feelings about this game. Like, I started writing a review and it's over 2,100 words. And I'm about halfway into it. I have so much to say about it and so much to process. And I obtained much a lot of new information today that completely changes the experience. So realistically, it should be in my top five. But I just, I don't want to name it my number three or number four game of the year. And then next year, say it's my game of the year for 2017. That just feels weird. So I'm just going to kind of mention that it's been an overall pretty positive experience. But I have lots of issues and questions about it before i really review it and get into it but final fantasy 15 yeah, you've been you've been tweeting out some stuff over over uh, the past couple of days uh with some kind of i rather they be cutscenes. i don't know what they are they're they're advertisements for the game or for noodles or something so the, there's so something fun. happening in the game that you're playing that is basically an advertisement from what i can tell is that right there is a feature on the ps4 if you hit share and it records it you can you can share video of the previous i think up to 15 minutes of video from whatever game you're playing it's weird cuz the first time i did it it only let me post 30 seconds but then the second time i did it it was like oh here's a 15 minute chunk and i was like no i just want the last like minute but and i know xbox has this too if you say something like xbox record or something it'll record the last x minutes of gameplay so there is a side quest in final fantasy 15 that is literally a commercial for cup noodles which is a Japanese product. Yes. And the side quest is literally an ad. <laughs> that's, what, that's kind of what it felt like. Okay, good. Yeah. So if you follow me at tw- on Twitter at Producer Cody, um, and then search for the hashtag FFXV for Final Fantasy XV, I, I have been sharing a lot of photos from the game and screenshots with, I think, hilarious captions. I may put them all in a blog post or something later. But... Um, yeah, I'm I'm really sharing my experience as much as possible. <laughs> but the co- Okay, so that's honorable mention. Final Fantasy 15 is an honorable mention. It's a weird game, but it's good, but it's weird. Yeah, super weird. Anyway, my number 5 okay. is actually and this this should give you an idea of how much I have to stretch to get my top 5. My number 5 is Lara Croft Go, which is a puzzle game for iOS and maybe mm, Android. It doesn't count. It's a mobile game. No, mobile games don't count. Uh, they're not actual games. Definitely counts. So they're, played- uh, they are. Satan made them on the fourth day, along with the. Uh, he made the cold, the cold ground play, cold play that you put cold play, cold play. Yeah, that's Satan made cold play on the uh, on the fourth day. 
That's right. Did he do it when he was on the clocks? I don't understand. I don't understand the reference. On the clocks? <laughs> okay. Now you got so, it. So what's your, you know, I had it from the beginning. Uh, what's your real number five? No, it's Lorikoff Go. <laughs> Shut up. I hate you. <laughs> I've I, I, here's why and actually this is a very significant reason why there are very few mobile games I have found that you can play these days without an internet connection uh, freaking mm. most match three games you need an internet connection for Hearthstone you need an internet connection even for the single player stuff um yeah, as like an every- aside, actually, actually, as an aside, there's some controversy over Super Mario Run right now because it requires an internet connection. Yeah, and See? they and they came out and they came out and said, uh, Nintendo came out and said that the only reason why it requires an internet connection is because of piracy concerns. That's it. There's no gameplay feature that requires it. Yeah. So it's just for piracy. Yeah, it's super annoying. And so there, there's some controversy. Well, I look at my phone, Final Fantasy Record Keeper, Mobius Final Fantasy, WWE Supercard, if you're into that. I believe Oz Kingdom, the stupid Wizard of Oz spinoff that I haven't really played. Um, the game. I mean, very few games allow you to actually play them without an internet connection, even if there are no features that you use. So it's super annoying. So I was on a flight from, I flew to Mexico city for work in November of 2016. And on the flights to and from, I just wanted a game I could play without paying $10 for the in-flight Wi-Fi Cause it's not that long of a flight from Chicago. And Yes, you can play the Final Fantasy games on mobile, but I am not convinced those will be a good experience on my phone. Maybe they will be, but whatever. I haven't played them on phones, but on tablets, they're fine. And on tablets, I would imagine they're fine because you've got a big screen, whatever. I I don't know. Yeah. So I got Lara Croft Go, which is a Square Enix game. It's a Tomb Raider uh, licensed puzzle game, and it's super fun. It's really fun. You can kind of blaze through it. There's little Easter eggs you can find in every level. Um, the idea is basically you move her to the exit and you do it with swiping motions. You can swipe her in any direction on this map. Um, and then you, it's kind of turn-based, I guess. So things aren't really moving in real time. But whenever you swipe... They, mo- they move when you Yeah, move. exactly. Okay. And it's a fun puzzle game. And there were a couple spots. I- I'm probably three quarters of the way through the game. You could probably beat it in five or six hours, including getting everything. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. You you know, you can unlock some outfits. There's a couple unlockable things, and there's a lot of items to find. And if you are connected to the internet and you want to buy hints, you can pay for hints, which would be completely idiotic because guides exist. Google them. Also, the also it's a puzzle game. So generally, I, I think like the 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 point of puzzle games generally is to kind of figure them out. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, But it was a very satisfying experience. And I did have to pay a few bucks for it, but it obviously didn't break the bank. It was three, four, or five bucks maybe. And it was fun. So highly recommend Lara Croft Go if you're looking for a game that you can play without an internet connection. It is on iOS. And I will tell you in a couple seconds if it is on Android. Well, I I think that is an underrated point that you that you make and i'll just reiterate it one more time about the 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 idea of playing it offline because like i i do play mobile games quite a bit i'm checking in with like that star wars game all day you know that kind of thing um but when i go on like on a vacation there is no way for me to play that on the airplane 
And if I'm leaving the country or something where there's not going to be Wi-Fi, like my wife and I visited Mexico um, not relatively recently, we didn't have internet at our resort without paying for it, which we didn't. Um, and I couldn't play it there because we didn't have Wi-Fi there, you know? So I think that's under that's an underrated point. Yeah. And I just checked on the Android app store on the Google Play store. It is a dollar. So really worth it. That seems worth it. Square Enix, by the way, yeah, super worth it. Square Enix also has a game called Hitman Go, which I'm assuming is somewhat similar but uses the Hitman license. Also a dollar. Have not played it, but if it's nearly as good as Lara Croft Go, I would highly recommend it. So there is my number five. And I th- think that they're going to be coming out with more Go games as well. Just more light because they've got more licenses they can work with. They should get the... I think there's a day you... Se- there's a Deus Ex Go as well. Oh. They should, they should yeah. get the Pokemon license. Oh, Pokemon Go? And they could call it Pokemon Go. Hmm. It'd have to be something different. I think Pokemon Go's take it. It'd have to be Pokemon Go Go. Oh, all right. Well. And then it fits right in with Final Fantasy. So they need to get the Pokemon Go license so they can release Pokemon Go Go. Go, exactly. Okay. And again, it fits right in with the Final Fantasy cool. theme. My number four is a game that I talked about a long, long time ago. I think it was the start of the year, February, I think. And it was Darkest Dungeon. Oh, it was a long time ago. Yeah, it it was a long time ago. It was the start of the year. And so Darkest, and that's when Darkest Dungeon had its official release. So Darkest Dungeon was a game that was in early access for a long time. Um, and then it finally got a full release. It was either January or February. And that was right around the time when I talked about it too. And it was a game that I fell in... I had a dramatic love affair with it for like a week and a half. It was the kind of game where I, it was the only game I was playing in the mornings when I was waking up. It was the, I was, if I had any gaming time at night, that was the only game I was playing. There were some nights where I stayed up late to play it. Um, cause it just kind of had me totally absorbed. It was basically this, it's kind of like a roguelike dungeon crawler puzzle game where you create a party of adventurers and you you go through a dungeon trying to collect treasure to come back to town to kind of make your town better, which then gives you access to better goods. All the while your characters are progressing and you can have a stable of like 12 different characters to pull from and you bring four into the dungeon each time you go in. Uh, But the thing that really makes it is the art style and the narrator that's involved in it. Just kind of the whole aesthetic of it because it takes place... Basically, there's your uncle went crazy and opened a gate to hell or something in his mansion. And you go to investigate that. And it's, 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 you are like the, the eye in the sky for what's going on. And you're recruiting the the people that you are recruiting to go in there are all sorts of just horrible people. So like they're, they're like the scum of society and they're the ones that you're recruiting to go in here. And, and um, as you're going through the dungeon and going through each time, um, your characters can gain ailments that stick with them that can make them worse um, or better, or they become they can become panicked and it can kind of change the strategy completely in the dungeon. The thing that's so great about it is that it's it's all about team building. So even there's like 12 different character classes or like 10 different character classes. And even within each character class, there's about eight different abilities of which you can pick four. So the... The ability and each of these abilities can only be used in certain positions in the dungeon. So there are four. Like missionary. Yeah, that's cowboy. Cowgirl. Uh, reverse Cow... cowgirl. Okay, reverse. Yeah. So um, 
you know, there's like the leader of the party, this person that's in second, the person that's in third, and then the, the, the person in the, in the rear. And, uh, you know, if you have this one ability, it maybe can only be used if that character's in the rear position. Regardless, what that means is that there's a huge number of ways to build each individual character, and that, and that then extrapolates into a huge number of party configurations. So it's incredibly customizable to go into the dungeon, and you you kind of have to build up multiple characters and multiple parties um, because there are some parts of the dungeon where like certain characters are much better than others, and you, you kind of need to use them in order to progress. Um, it's really cool. The thing that it would have been even higher on this list, but midway through the game, um, there are some decisions that they made with it that make it grindy in a not fun way. Uh, one example of that is when your heroes, they're basically three tiers of this dungeon, like lower tier, mid tier, and, and, and high tier, right? Of each of these, these dungeons that you're going through. And when your character progresses past the first tier, they are no longer willing, that one character is no longer willing to run the lower tiers because they say it is beneath them. And so if too many characters get promoted, we'll call it, then if you have to progress lower level characters you can't do it quickly you have to basically recruit a bunch of lower level characters then to put them all in together because the higher level characters won't go into the dungeon with them so it's like i said it's a it was kind of a i understand why they did it It, like in theory it makes sense because you want to kind of prevent the player from cheesing the lower level dungeons and quickly bringing a lower level character kind of up to speed but in practicality what ends up happening is that your characters progress and you never want to go back to work on lower characters again and then if one of your mid-tier characters or your high-tier characters dies they can they they can die and it's a permanent state oh so they don't no come back and they don't come back again and the only choice you have then is to bring characters up from the lower levels to get to the mid and high tiers again so you can lose a significant amount of progress that you then have to kind of grind back up again. And that's the only reason why I wouldn't be higher. Because the game itself is great. It feels like a puzzle game in each dungeon that you're in there. Because it's all turn-based, so you don't have to think... like You don't have to like uh, make any kind of split-second decisions. It's just like, here's the encounter that you're fighting. What do I want to do here? What do I want to chance here? That kind of so thing. So strategic. Did you finish the game? No, it got... Like I said, it got too too grindy i got midway into the second tier of dungeons and i kind of i kind of knew where the game was going and i kind of didn't need to see any further and you played 23 hours of this game right so that's kind of a lot for the first tier right and since february they have patched it they've they've included a couple of new character classes which the game didn't necessarily need but it's cool they added more of those and they did do something with the leveling slope of that mid of that middle tier and lower tier to make it so that characters progressed a little faster as the game goes on. So I think that they tried to make good on that and fix it. Um, but I haven't had a desire to go back to the game yet. Mm. Um, like I kind of, I can see myself going back and playing it again because the game was, was cool. Um, I just haven't had again, that desire quite yet. Got it. Cool. Darkest dungeon. Number four. Are you sure you weren't just bad at it? I was really good. I was very good at it. I was extremely good at it. I was unbelievable. I could have been bad at it. Okay. I also, you can go back and listen to that episode from from February or or March um, 
even. I can't remember when it was, but it was actually an episode we did with our uh, our friend from Russia, John Simon. Oh, right. Um, because he played he played the game as well, and we were able to kind of talk about what we really liked and what frustrated us about the game as the game went on. So it, it's worth a listen to. Right. It's really good. And occasionally when we have a third guest, there's... The audio setup is is a little less than ideal for for our podcast. So if the audio quality is a little lower, just expect that. But I usually do some post production to make it sound good. And in the the description of this episode on either GameLifeBalance.us or on our YouTube channel, I'm going to be posting links to full episode reviews of all the games we're talking about today. Except for the next one that I'm about to talk about, because I've never talked if, about it before. If we had them. If we if had we them, yeah. Because I think some of them we did. Right, including the next one, which is my number four, which I've not talked about on the podcast, but it's called Phantom Breaker Battlegrounds. Have you heard of this? This sounds like a game that you played at Bitbash. No, it's not, actually. It sounds like that, though. It does. Um, it's a th- I've only played about three hours of it, but it is a beat-em-up that is on Steam, and I played it with Russian John, actually. And his name is Russian John, not Russian John, actually. I, I meant I played it with Russian John, comma, actually, just to clarify. But it's, and this, it's, is, this is a dying genre. I mean, beat-em-ups don't really exist much anymore. Yeah, and, and, and yet, it actually has a 9 out of 10 on Steam. So it's pretty highly rated by the people there, which is kind of funny because... Because it only has a 64% on Metacritic and a okay. 5 out of 10 on IGN.com. But whatever. Users like it. And, you know, beat-em-ups don't need a lot to be good. This one features... I I've, I've don't remember a lot about this game, to be perfectly honest. So I won't be able to give you a lot of details. But if you're looking for a fun local co-op beat-em-up to play with friends, this is a great game. It's $12 on Steam regularly, but get it on sale. Like, do not pay full price for it. And the thing about it is, and I'm triple-checking my sources to make sure... Oh, no, this isn't the one. There's a game that uh, that John brought over one time that was the most hideous, aesthetically hideous game I've ever played in my life. It, that, was a sh- that was a scrolling uh, shooter. Um, I don't even remember the name. I'll try and, I'll try and get that for a future episode. But um, this is just a typical beat-em-up. Uh, you play these cutesy anime girls that shriek a lot and have fun moves and abilities. And it's not super long. There's a lot of different difficulty levels. And as you progress through the game, you unlock lots of different powers and special moves, which is always cool to have in a game, you know, a la Castle Crashers or Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Sure. And it's just a fun beat-em-up. They came out in 2013 to spin off of the fighting game Phantom Breaker, which I've never played or heard of, and I, I just recommend it. So Phantom Breaker Battlegrounds, again, three hours. We beat it at least once in three hours, so not a huge amount of time needed to master this game, hence why I would definitely recommend getting it on sale. But you know, as a fan of the beat-em-up genre, where you're just running to the right and beating things up, it's a pretty good, it was a pretty solid choice. Back to you, I imagine John. you. I imagine you occasionally ran left. <sighs> Hard to say. Yeah, you don't remember. You don't even remember anything about the game. So no, right? You're number four. That makes yeah. sense. Um, number three for me was also in a game that was early in this year. Early in 2016. I want to say the actual game was released in January. I don't remember when I got it. I might have gotten it right away, but I remember playing it. Uh, a lot. It was. You, called, it's called the. It's called the witness. Yeah, you did get it. I'm pretty sure you got it right away or within I'm, a month of it coming out. Yeah, I might have. It's called the witness. It's a game by Jonathan Blow, who is the creator of um, 
why is the name escaping me? Uh, Braid, creator of Braid. Um, it is a, uh, it is also a puzzle game. It is a first-person puzzle game, whereas Braid was like an action platformer puzzle game. It was also a puzzle game. The Witness is a, also a game kind of without fail states. So there's nothing that like kills you and cuts to black and makes you restart anything. Um, it's a game that is kind of hard to describe. Basically, you wake up on an island and you don't know what's going on. There's really no background, no backstory, no narration, nothing given to you. And you start to walk around and explore. And you start to encounter these puzzles that are... They're basically like dot matrices that you can create lines between different dots. And they're of all different configurations. But what happens is you start solving puzzles and it starts unlocking more puzzles. And it starts... um, the, the puzzles start to introduce mechanics. And the mechanics are a... The game creates a vocabulary that is incredibly interesting. That if you didn't play the game from the beginning... like If you were just to sit down and like do a random puzzle in the middle of this game, you'd have no idea what was going on. So the game has this logical way of introducing new things to you and teaching you... Like, the the point of the game is to be taught by the game how to progress with these puzzles and do more complicated puzzles um, with, with like, the vocabulary that the game creates around each puzzle. But then, then, it really starts to bend the rules of how these puzzles are done because instead of just keeping the rules of the puzzles on the actual dot matrix boards themselves, the game starts to incorporate... Uh, the environment around the puzzles. So the environment of the island into the puzzles. And when you first start to get involved with that, and when you first understand what's happening and how like this rock formation in the distance is the key to solving this puzzle, it is, it is this like mind blowing Eureka like experience. And that just continues. And I had more of those in this game than I've ever had in any game that I've ever played before. Even Braid, which made me feel that way sometimes too. But I had more of these, I have more of these um, individual experiences with The Witness than I've ever had before. The game just feels so masterfully crafted. And it just does this one specific thing, but it does it so unbelievably well. And it plays with so many different variations on this one theme that it is just, it is a, it is a beautiful thing, top to bottom. And I, I like, I want to, I would, if there was a game where I could forget that I had ever played it and go back and play it again, it would be this game. Because wow. ev- eventually I want to play this game again. But it needs to be a period of time that's long enough so that I can forget enough about the game because the whole the the discovery of the stuff in this game is it is one of the most satisfying feelings of any game that I've ever played. It's, yeah, and Braid is, was great. We both reviewed Braid on our old podcast, oh, Unqualified yeah. Gamers, and that was a phenomenal puzzle game, also with mind blowing elements. So that's that's high praise. Oh, it's it's so good, and none of you guys have played it. And it's the kind of game where I just... I also, it's a game I want to talk to somebody about. But I don't know anybody who's played it. So that's frustrating for me. One of you jerks needs to get it and play it. Because it is it is really legitimately awesome. 
Well, it has retained its value because it came out close to a year ago or over a year ago, and I have it on my wish list, and I've not seen any significant sales where I have a huge discount. So, And I'm very cheap, and I don't have that much time to play games. Jonathan Blow uh, has has publicly said before that like he is not really into discounting games. So it's not surprising that you haven't really seen it on sale because generally he doesn't discount games. Yeah. And I'm cheap. So, you know, next time I have a Steam gift card or I sell some of my Steam trading cards or something or I have some extra money in my Steam wallet, I might pick that up. But It's so good. It is so good. It is and good I believe in a, you. It is, it is good in a way that no other game on either of our list is good. Wow. All right, then. You sure you don't want to have sex with it, John? It's still not my game of the year. How many hours? 20, 22. And I did complete the game. I did not complete everything in the game. Okay. Cool. Is there a secret ending? It's not really a secret ending, but there's optional puzzles. There's optional stuff stuff to do. There's there's sound there's sound puzzles. They do every like he uses everything. It's re- it's really cool. That's cool. Cool. All right. Well, there's your number 3. My number 3 yet again I have significantly less to talk about to say about, but I had to put it on my list. Are you ready for this? Mhm. Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go Go? Nope, just Pokemon Go. So OG Pokemon Go. OG Pokemon Go. I'm actually serious about this too, by the way. Uh, I think... So, okay, so let's let's start by saying it's it's not so much a game, right? It is a game. It's a game. Okay. It's totally a game. It, it's a game that... Because I feel like I watched people play it and it didn't seem like much of a game. It, and I'm not, I'm not discounting it. And I'm not discounting it from your list. But I'm saying... That it didn't feel like there was a lot of, um, there there wasn't a lot of player agency. Did you? It, did, would you consider Farmville a game or Tiny Tower? I would say Tiny Tower more than Farmville. Okay, right. So Tiny Tower, you cultivate because there's because there's decisions to be made because you determine what gets put down into your tower. Right, but you cultivate resources by letting time pass or occasionally by paying money. And in Pokemon Go, you cultivate things by walking and getting steps and moving on your GPS. It, it, it just, the zeitgeist that surrounded Pokemon Go, I don't think can or that's should be That's a stupid ignored. word. I've never liked that word. I've never used that word. You literally have used that on every episode we've ever recorded. No, uh, I've used decoupage on every that's, episode that yeah, we've ever recorded. That's what you've used. So, but I mean, I was in Madrid for a couple weeks over the summer and... Two or three days after I landed there, Pokemon Go was released in Spain. And there were literally, literally thousands of people and their families just walking around playing Pokemon Go together or with friends or whatever. There, there was a, a monument where people set a bunch of Pokemon lures in a park and there were hundreds of people just sitting around there talking and enjoying their day and playing Pokemon Go. Like, it, it See, just... I think, and I think that's the bigger story about Pokemon Go. I'm not trying to steal your thunder here, but I think that the bigger story around Pokemon Go is that I think it was the first alternate reality game that brought in... It was the first game that kind of uh, brought in uh, non-gamers to play alternate, or an alternate reality game. Where, oh, po- yeah. where like oh, stuff exists in the real world on your phone. Yeah, yeah. I think it. Yeah, it used augmented real augmented reality. 
is the term you're looking for. Um, it, yes. it utilized augmented reality, not necessarily better than any other game, but using a license and a hook better than any other game. And you know, you you remember you might remember Nintendo's stock soared after this game came out, but then it kind of dropped because investors realized Niantic released this game. It wasn't even yes. a Nintendo game, but but at the same time, you have to look at it and realize the value of the Pokemon intellectual property. I mean, this is the highest grossing game on the App Store, and it's free. Mm-hmm. And the number of people playing it, I mean, it was number one in downloads for months and months and continues to be popular. And there is still a thriving sub-community, despite the fact that many initial features that were promised or, or alluded to weren't there. It, many considered it kind of an unfinished game. It, it was deeply flawed in certain ways, but at the same time, at its core, it accomplished exactly what it needed to do. I mean, you talk about uh, the success of, of, of augmented reality and proving it as a concept, which it absolutely has done. And right. I think about when I go on Reddit and I see a post from a guy that says, as a fat guy, I'm really proud of this and he's got a screenshot of getting the 100 kilometers walked badge in pokemon go because it is getting people up and outside it's like cured people of depression i've seen pictures of people in public talking to each other about pokemon go go like across social economic racial boundaries people you wouldn't normally see necessarily talking to each other um and it's i just think it's it's it was awesome I think it was cool. It, it, you know, when I got back to Chicago, like if I, if if my girlfriend was like, "Oh, let's go for a walk somewhere," I would say, "Cool, all right." And if if for some reason that's like the last thing in the world I felt like doing, I could at least pull out my phone and have this like kind of alternate activity uh, if I wanted to do it. There, there's just so many situations where it worked. And it wasn't the most quote unquote fun game per se, because I, I never really got to the level where I'm taking gyms and doing all this cool stuff. But the collection aspect, the fact that there were Uber drivers offering and Craigslist ads offering Pokemon safaris where they would drive you around the city so you could catch Pokemon at rare locations. When this game came out, it just it spurned it, it's it created this entire economy and world and change people's behaviors in real life and i I did see some interesting things where like coffee shops like uh you know single owner coffee shops would would drop lures all day outside of their coffee shop to get people to come in and buy coffee so like the heat like people would just like literally drop lures outside of their outside of their, their place of business yeah in madrid i saw a sign a chalkboard sign on the sidewalk that said we have pokemon here in spanish so it's, you know, and now Starbucks has some kind of partnership with them, I think, uh, was announced. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I've, and I've, I've actually even on Yelp, on Yelp, there is now a category under restaurants and things like that saying, is there a Pokestop here? Huh. Not even kidding. That's built into Yelp's infrastructure. So, you know, the, the um, excitement around it has definitely died down. You don't hear people talking about it nearly as much anymore. But it was making primetime news, real news. I mean, it was a it was a pretty it was a pretty big thing for about a month. Yeah, and I, I doubt it's on many people's top video games of the year list. But you know, as as a mobile game that just went that did so much, I think that it's worth mentioning. Yeah, you just like finally having having people that you could talk to about something 
even if it was fleeting and they no longer exist to you anymore. It's true. Anyway, that's my number three. Your turn for number two. My number two is a game I haven't really even had a chance to talk about yet, but we can talk about its implications kind of at the end of the show. But I, uh, I started playing World of Warcraft Legion, and yeah, this is my number two. So World of Warcraft came out with a new expansion in September. It was either September or October. There was a bunch of buzz about how, about how it was one of the best expansions that they've ever released. Uh, that doesn't... With the disappointment that was the last expansion, and the last... I've played every expansion but one of them. This is like the sixth. And one the, the last one was abysmal. Like, it was very, very bad. Um, hearing people say that it was one of the best ever was kind of exciting because I have some very... I've talked about it on this show before, but I have some very, very fond memories of World of Warcraft. Um, so I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to like pay for a month. I'm going to jump back in see what it's all about. Uh, it is it is as cool as all of the buzz suggests. Um, they have made it... They have taken some aspects from Diablo and they have put it into World of Warcraft. There are a lot of World of Warcraft players that are not happy about that. There are a lot of casual players that are totally cool with that. So, me as a like a now casual player approaching the game, I'm I'm I found it it's really cool. Um, it is there is more to do in this expansion than I think I've ever seen before. So, like when I log on, I am now presented with like twenty different things I can do, which it hasn't been that way maybe ever. Wow. So that's cool. It's cool. I mean, and. And they've set it up, they've structured it in a way so that no matter what, which one of those 20 activities that you choose to do, you are progressing your character in a meaningful way. It could be a slow progression, but it is still a progression, just because of the way that the systems they have in there are. Um, so, that being said, I don't know if I'm going to play it anymore. Because, mm-hmm. mostly because, um, it, the inability to unplug from a game is still a big issue. So the inability to pause something, to put something down and walk away and then come back to it um, as a parent and as a husband is a, is a difficult thing. Yeah. So unless I am playing this game in the morning and only the morning, it would not work for me. And the problem is that for me, it's, it's a personal problem. It's not a problem with world of Warcraft. It's a problem with Jonathan Martin. I cannot regulate myself to like not play this game at night. So it turns into an issue. It turns into the only game that I play, which isn't a problem. But if I end up if I end up having time to play a game in the nighttime, it can affect my personal life outside of the game mm-hmm. at nighttime. And I just don't have the self-regulation to not play it at night. Makes sense. If I'm playing, if I'm playing it. So rather than do that, I think the smarter thing is to, is to say, you are a good thing. You are maybe not a good thing for Jonathan and walk away from it. Makes sense. But it's really, but it's really cool. It's really cool. And if, if younger me had World of Warcraft Legion, I would be freaking pumped because it, it, it's got some really cool stuff in there. Good stuff. I've not played World of Warcraft, so I have nothing to add to that. You have. You got really far in it. You got to, like, level 10. I did not get to level 10. I played, like, three days of the demo and realized I didn't like it at all. Yet, for some reason, got hooked on another MMO later, which I'll talk about later. Hey, I screwed up my entire list. 
So awesome. Lara Croft Go and Final Fantasy. Wait, do we have to start from the beginning? Well, Hang on. Do we have to scrap the episode? So I mean, the games I actually said that were my top games were actually my bottom games. So we have to start over. I don't even know what that means. I think you you really did just screw me up. So the the list gets flipped on its head. Yeah. Um. No, it didn't. Lara Croft Go and and Final Fantasy Fifteen were both honorable mentions. Phantom Breaker Battlegrounds is my number five. Pokemon Go is number four. I previously got the numbers a number off, so my next one is number three. Pokemon. You know that this changes. This changes everything. I know. Pokemon Go is not in my number three. My number three is the next game I'm going to talk about. So can you handle this? I think All right. so. My number three, and then I'm going to do my number two because your game of the year is next. So now I have to do two in a row. Okay, I'm. I, I will let you do. All two right, in a row. Do, they'll be short. So number three is Civilization Six. Sid Meier's Civilization VI, if you're trying to find it in your Steam library. And I have played 63 hours of this game. Sid Meier's Civilization V was on, has been a game of the year for the last like two straight years. I think I, an expansion of the game was, my, was one of my top games last year. The Civilization series, always very good. This is my number three because it's just really, really fun. I have not given it a full review, um, and I won't go deep into it right now but i will do a full review on this podcast hopefully with one of our friends who has also who is a big time civ player one or two of our friends actually are really big civ players and um this game in the series is notable for introducing lots of new gameplay elements i won't get into them all the reason it's number three and not higher on my list is because it had some issues at launch they did release a patch almost immediately that addressed a lot of them, and that was really cool. But there are a couple civilizations that are still pretty broken. I'm guessing there were probably somewhat broken civilizations in previous iterations of the series. Oh, there were broken civilizations in 5. It was ridiculous. See, but I wasn't good at 5 or as good. Whereas okay. in this game, one of the pre-order bonuses was you could immediately play as the Aztecs, and they were horribly broken. So I beat the game on Deity. With the Aztecs. That's the hardest difficulty. I am not that good at civilization. I should not have been able to beat it on deity. No, you certainly No, definitely no. not. And my main issue really is the fact that there's no co-op multiplayer at launch for some reason, which is very disappointing because that affects the replay value. And that's why it's not higher because... You can only play so many solo games of Civ until you are like, okay, let's play with a friend. And then you you team up, and, and I like the social aspect of it from time to time. But, you know, I will say that when I got the game, I played five or six full games in the first month or so that it came out before I kind of got, not burned out, but kind of done with it. And normally, with Civilization series, I'll play a game, maybe a, a 30 or 40 hour game, and then I'm kind of done for like a month or two. Maybe a couple shorter games, but that's about it. But this this one this one kept in there. So um, I had enough of it for now. I will definitely go back to this game. It is excellent. Overall, I really enjoy the improvements with the game. I don't think that it addressed some of the fundamental problems with this series. Specifically that I feel like almost every game becomes... Every game includes some sort of military action against someone else. You're going to get attacked in every game, and you're going to have to balance your military. I think there's ways that they could address that to make it a little less 
warmongery and have you focus a little bit more on on strategy of your city building, like a Sim City kind of a thing, um, which isn't addressed. And I also hate science victories. I think science victory is dumb. I can be winning in every aspect of the game and be three times point score higher than every other Civ, and suddenly someone builds a spaceship and they win. I think it's right, but that I mean that means that you didn't it's win. Dumb. Though, it's they, dumb. It's dumb. I don't but like that, the way. That means that I you don't lost. Like that. That's stupid. It's very stupid. You just need to get better at science. Because there's no way to prevent it. And if I'm focusing on anything but science and someone declares war. So, so what I'm hearing here is there's a science victory, there's a culture victory, there's a diplo- diplomatic victory, and a war victory. You've basically just told me that you don't like the war victory and you don't like the science victory. So I'm beginning to think that you, you don't really like Civ. That or you're not very good at it. I prefer to win the game, though. So, okay. okay. You know. Gotcha. Okay. I'm uh, not explaining yeah, myself I, well. I, I want to play... Yeah, well, you know, it's every episode of this show. Um, s- s- I want to play Civ Six. I will say we're, we're really different in this. I love co-op stuff almost always. Like, if, if I'm going to play a board game, I almost always default to wanting to play a co-op board game. But for some reason, Civ to me is not a co-op game. I want Civ to be me building up a civilization like i like the i like to play against other humans playing civ but play against them i just i don't have a desire to play that game co-op for some reason i don't know what it is i think it's because i like playing co-op with our friend will or our friend max and they're both really is it because they care they carry yeah basically yeah okay no that makes sense that's pretty much it um and i will say aside from gameplay you know uh minor quirks which are just dumb cody things um my main problems are i don't think i think that the civ i still think the civ 3 soundtrack is the best one maybe four but the soundtrack didn't do that much for me this time and uh, however i love the fact that they added endings so in civ you used to get to the end of the game you've been playing for 30 or 40 hours you've been doing a zillion turns and then just a pop-up window comes and it goes okay you won and it's just really abrupt and dumb this game plays a cut scene so you get like a little video at the end with a little narration over it and that's kind of cool so it feels like an ending instead of just this oh you're done you know anti-climax i like that a lot and i I like a lot of other stylistic choices so again it's my number three anyway i can get to my number two now um my number two game and this was actually one of my games of the year last year it might have been my game of the year but my number two game for 2016 is metal gear solid 5 and I will wait a minute. You're, you're saying that was the game of the year last year? I think it was my game of the year last year, or one of them. And it's my number two runner-up for game of the year for 2016. And it's because there's such a ridiculous amount of replay value. I 100%ed this game, not only getting every achievement, but also getting 100% completion in the game. Uh, that took me about 230 hours. I am now 263 hours of playtime into Metal Gear Solid 5. Wow. The replay value is ridiculous. There is always more to do, and you're kind of always playing multiplayer. And I'll explain what that means. A central part of the game is this forward operating base, these forward operating bases you can build. This is where you are a, you expand your your mother base basically to be able to accommodate more soldiers. Those soldiers each have specializations that can improve something. So uh, your, like your, your research or development soldiers, the more bases you have, the more of them you can recruit, the higher your overall research, your R&D level goes, 
the more advanced weapons you can create. Your base development platform, uh, the more base development staff you have, the more uh, resources you can get, and the more of certain other types of items you can develop. And there's six different prongs to this in total. So there's a medical team, there's a combat team, etc. And uh, doing this takes a lot of time. And it takes a lot of real-time hours, and you have to procure a lot of these items and be strategic about the way you do it. And at any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, someone on Steam or PS4 or Xbox One can infiltrate your platform and try to invade your base. They attack... Now, now why would somebody do that? Because they can capture your resources, and it raises their multiplayer rank and their espionage rank, and it's just generally very, very good for them. Uh, especially if you're competitive multiplayer, if you're if you're the kind of person that says, "Oh, I want to be, I want to have a high ranking in this game," that's the way to do it. And so, for that reason, my base could be being attacked right now, honestly, and at, at any time. What are we doing here? I know, right. Um, so you can sign up for insurance for your base with real world money, which is a little ridiculous. In case they capture a bunch of your guys, you can kind of have insurance so they're not really captured. Um, and they've created this whole kind of economy, but it's this constant meta game, meta multiplayer that is always happening. So I turn on the game still once or twice a week and just check on my base, make sure all my guys are still there. I deploy some of my troops on remote combat missions, which um, which take place in real time. So it'll say 48-hour dispatch. So then three or four days later, two or three, four days later, I log on again. They're back. They've gotten me a bunch of resources. I check my inventory, see if I can develop any new weapons, and then I send them back on combat missions again. So it's, it becomes kind of a, a passive, like a more a Farmville kind of game where you're just kind of passively sending people out, come back a few days later and collecting whatever you, you've harvested. But, um, but then with those resources, sometimes I log on and I glance at other forward operating bases in my queue and I say, oh, I'm going to attack this guy. And I just run and do an infiltration mission, which are always extremely exciting because if you're captured or attacked or noticed, like if, if anyone on this base notices you, it opens a wormhole and that player can retaliate against you. So if you log on, John, and I infiltrated your base, but your people saw me, you'll get a notification that says, oh, Cody's, you know, Cody attacked you, and you can select my base and retaliate it against it at any time. So the stakes are always really high, because if they retaliate against... And you don't know if that player is online. Even if they're not on... Yeah, any time. So, um, and you're available to infiltrate them for like a week or something, or two weeks or something. Oh, wow. So, um... So yeah, it's it's a really big thing. You can also have other FOBs backs. So I have just contracted myself out to some other players so I can retaliate against their infiltrators. So if I infiltrate someone and they see me, maybe they've got like 14 people backing their base. So any of those players can infiltrate me in direct retaliation. So it's exciting. It's cool. All the weapons you're upgrading, all the weapons and items you're upgrading throughout the game with all these extra resources you're collecting, you're able to use in the forward operating base missions, and it's just constantly growing. Plus, they're always adding achievements in the game that give you rewards like extra staff members that you can do 
while playing the missions. And now that I've got such ridiculously high level equipment, I can redo any of these missions with basically super equipment. I can make myself completely invisible or have like a level eight rocket launcher when the game usually stops at four or five. And I can just tear through and destroy everything, which is an awesome throwback to the good old days of video games where you used to have Game Genie and cheat codes and you used to be able to just turn on a game obliterate everything for fun with your ultra powers and 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 just kind of wreak havoc so if i need to blow off some steam i'll go on and just like blow up 12 tanks with something capture a bunch of enemies and then complete a mission so um it's it's just extremely satisfying in every way um it is the game that keeps on giving and i'm actually planning on going uh back and playing metal gear solid 5 uh the the not the phantom pain but the the prequel to it which I can't remember, but Ground Ground, ground Zeroes, Zeroes yeah, Ground Zeroes, and getting a hundred percent in that game because it's such a smooth play style. It's seamless. It's just absolutely an amazing game. Yeah, it's a game I, I I have gone back and forth about wanting to buy it because I have no experience with the Metal Gear Solid franchise. So, and it's just so crazy. Like the story in that in them are just so crazy, and I just kind of want to see the rest of it before I. I, I kind of want to see the the where it started, I guess. If if you want to experience the Metal Gear Solid series, play this game last because this game is the playing the the play control, the controls are so perfect. It'll be really hard to go back to the old games. Sure. You know, if if you just kind of want to play a really fun game, you're not sure you'll ever go back to the first four. Play it because you don't need to know any of the storyline. There's virtually no benefit to knowing any background about any of the characters. Sure. Like virtually none. So don't worry about storyline. If you've never played a Metal Gear, you want a really fun game from the last couple of years, pick up Metal Gear Solid Five. That's my runner up. You know, I'm looking at this. I, I don't think our um, number one games should really surprise anybody if they know, if they follow the show at all. So give them five um, seconds to guess. One, I'm not. I don't know. I don't know what happens after that one. I don't know what comes Two, after that. Three, four, five. Um, okay, time. So my game of the year is Doom, and I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about it because it was one of the few games that we got to do an absolute full gamer on. It was just about a month ago. I basically gushed about the game for 45 minutes, but I will. The thing I will say is that as a person who generally does not like first-person shooters pretty much at all, it was, it may have been the best first-person shooter I've ever played. So that being said, I will 100% be going back to that game. I'll be playing it on a higher difficulty. It feels better than any shooter I've ever played, I think, any first-person shooter I've ever played. It's just wonderful. So if you can get your hands on Doom, which you can get it for a steal now. um, Yeah, I've seen it on sale a bunch. Yeah, you can get it for twenty bucks um, most days of the week if you go to if you just do some research and figure out where it's on sale for twenty bucks on Steam. It it is a thousand percent worth twenty bucks. It after playing it, I can safely tell you that you you wouldn't feel bad paying sixty dollars for it. Really, it is it is just phenomenal. So yeah, awesome. Go play go play Doom and and. The craziest thing is the game has no right to be as good as it is because it's it's like it's a doom re 
branding. I mean, it's Doom. It's like the first video game that ever existed, right? It's the first. It's the. It's the. It's the game that invented first-person shooters. Yes, it like preceded Doom, Pong by fourteen years. Fun Doom fact: was Doom was the game that invented first-person shooters, and like, I we're twenty-five years or something out from that. It's just it's crazy. Like it's crazy that that the game. Everybody wrote off this game before this game came out. Not to mention Bethesda made the decision not to send out... I don't know if you know anything about the history of the game. But Bethesda made a decision not to send out review copies of the game to anybody. I did know that. And that's usually a terrible sign. It's the same thing as not screening a movie for critics. Generally, in like the video game sphere. Usually it means, guess what? The game's not that great. We know it's not that great. We kind of don't want you to tear it apart before it goes on sale because we want to sell as many copies as we can. But Doom just turned out to be amazing. It just it all the signs pointed that it was going to be bad, and for, it was just it was awesome. Cool, awesome, yeah, definitely yeah, agree. Go, and go play Doom. Uh, AC from our sister show Game Life Balance Australia also reviewed this game. I, I actually may or may not have bought it for him as a uh, parent warming gift. What is like? What is a man shower? Do you get showered? Did you get a shower before you had a baby? A man shower. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a sexy place to be, is what it sounds like to me. Anyway, uh, I uh, AC reviewed Doom, also gave it a great review. Check out Game Life Balance Australia dot com for for their their words on that. Cool. I I'm I'm good. That's my game of the year. Cool. And you should you should all play it. That game is awesome. Cool. So my game of the year, also as you mentioned, not surprising, is Final Fantasy fourteen. I have also talked about it somewhat extensively. John and I will give it some kind of full review at some point in twenty seventeen. But I just I had only tried World of Warcraft in terms of massively multiplayer online RPGs. I did not like World of Warcraft. I played a few days and got really bored and just didn't care for it. For some reason, I got hooked on Final Fantasy fourteen. I have played... Steam says I've played 232 hours, but I think that counts when you have the launcher open, so I don't know if that's true. But around 200 hours, let's say. And uh, it's just, the writing is phenomenal. It is written like a Game of Thrones book. You are fully immersed in this world. Playing with other people is amazing. You can do so, I had so much fun just on the single player stuff without even being in a party. And then a hundred some hours into it, I'm, I'm, well, earlier, but then you're thrown into these, these multiplayer parties and you get to run dungeons and it's just unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, beautiful game, great graphics, amazing community, and it's a Final Fantasy game. So it, everything about it is amazing. The music is amazing. I listen to the soundtrack all the time. Like, there's nothing, there's, this is probably the best Final Fantasy game since the PlayStation era. In fact, it definitely is. I, I can give it hands down. It is definitely the best Final Fantasy game since at least seven so play it yeah it is a it is a very well done mmo wrapped in a final fantasy theme is kind of the feeling that i have about it um and it as you can see it didn't make my list for the year and it could have because i played a lot of it um but it doesn't it is it would be different if i hadn't started with world of warcraft but world of warcraft was my you know my first mmo love Right, and so that's what I, that's what I find myself drawn to. Mm-hmm. Makes and sense. Final Fantasy fourteen is going to be your first MMO kind of love, and that you'll probably always fall back to that. 
as the MMO that you play. There's a very good chance that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's it's very good. It is a very good game. Yeah, I mean, and you have a lot of experience with them, so you would, you know, you have something to compare it to. I thought I for didn't. sure you were going to say Final Fantasy XIII, too. I really thought that you were going to do it. Yeah, but, but that can't uh, be my game of the year seven years in a row. It's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity. So I had to stop at six. Um, I will just transition briefly into kind of what I learned about myself as a, an adult gamer in 2016 with this game, and that is that I realized I cannot play more than one game at once. Uh, I have logged into... I have not logged into Final Fantasy fourteen since I got Final Fantasy fifteen. I have an active subscription with fourteen, but and the idea was play a little of this and a little of that, but I'm maybe it's the type of gamer I am, but with my time constraints, if I've only got four to eight hours of game time a week, I'm gonna need to spend it immersing in one game. So I learned about myself. I will probably need to cut my fourteen subscription in the next week. And just suspend it until I'm done with 15. Yeah, that is definitely one of the disadvantages of a subscription-based model for a game. It just is. Because if you ever cool on that game for any amount of time, and you fall off of it and go to a different game for a while, you feel kind of like you're wasting your money. You by, are, yeah. By, by paying into that subscription. So yeah, that is a an inherent flaw with that particular type of model. And there aren't many games that do a subscription model anymore. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's just not it's just not viable for most for most games. I have also learned about myself that I really, really appreciate games that let you turn down sound effects because this actually applies to 14 and 15. The sword slashing and explosions are very loud. And while the music in these games is beautiful, my girlfriend does not as much appreciate the explosions and screaming and grunting and sword sounds. So when I'm able to isolate those and reduce... I mean, you're going gr- to you're gonna grunt when you swing a sword. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're, you're swinging a sword. When I'm able to isolate and reduce those but leave on the very pretty music, it's been very beneficial. So that's a thing that I learned that you might want to try if you have a significant other or anyone else in your family or life who does not like abrasive screaming and exploding sounds. I think the biggest thing that I learned this year is that I think, I think I'm finally willing to admit that the ship has sailed for me on MMOs completely. Yeah, I think so. I think it is, it's too, they are too great a temptation to me. Um, and whatever it is in my personality type, um, they are, they are too great a temptation for me to, play them in a way that is definitely considered like unhealthy. And that's not, I mean, that's not okay. So um, I, I think it, and it's, it's a huge disappointment because I love them, but yeah. uh, I all, I, you know, I recognize that it's not, they're probably not the best. So um, that was a big thing. Cause I kind of felt that way with final fantasy 14 earlier in the year as well. Um, and I also learned that, for me, I'm like totally okay now with not finishing games that I start. I'm totally cool with that. And I know that is like something that is very hard for you to do. Um, but, and I was kind of starting to feel this way last year as well. But like when I have had enough of a game, I'm cool just walking away and being like, I got a lot out of that game for whatever I paid for it. 
mm-hmm. and maybe maybe I didn't see it through to the end, but I find it better to walk away from the game at a point where I am starting to cool, like I'm, I'm starting to cool on my enjoyment of it, like Darkest Dungeon. That game would have just started frustrating me and leaving a bad taste in my mouth every time I walked away from it if I tried to actually complete it. But walking away from it when I did, I look back on it and I'm like, that was a really cool game for what I did. Mm-hmm. And for for what I got to play out of it, so um, I'm I think I think I'm I'm really cool with that. So like having as many games as I do in my Steam library, yeah, I'm not going to complete them all ever. But I'll probably play most of them, even if it's for like fifteen twenty minutes, just to see what it's all about. Yeah. And if any of those grab me, then I can continue to play them further. But um, I'm cool even if they don't. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, I also conducted a poll on Twitter, very scientific poll, of what video games people are most excited about in 2017. I was only able to have four options. So my options were Horizon Zero Dawn, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, Resident Evil 7, and Mass Effect Andromeda. And coming in at number four was Horizon Zero Dawn, which surprised me because I'm quite excited about that game. I, it was a hard poll for me to answer. It really was. Yeah, okay. Good. I'm glad. It got 50, 57 votes, so not a huge amount. But anyway, 11% said Horizon Zero Dawn. Coming in second was Resident Evil 7 at 19%. Uh, I guess for horror genre fans, that's going to be a huge thing because I, I apparently they're going back to the horror, straight horror genre. Well, not only, are they going, not only are they going back to straight horror, but they also are... Uh, it's a. It's the first time it's ever been in first person, which is kind of a big deal. Oh, interesting! I didn't know never, that. It's never been in first person before, mm-hmm. and it's going to be in first person. Interesting. So that's kind of a. It's kind of a big deal because so not only are they saying, yeah, we're going to return to form and kind of go back to classic, but we're also going to do this completely new thing we've never done before. Very cool. And I, I've never played a Resident Evil game, but I've watched people play them, and that's always fun. So I enjoy mm-hmm. that. And then. In third or in second, rather, was at twenty four percent was Mass Effect Andromeda, which I didn't even know they were making a new Mass Effect until I made this poll. Are you excited about that? Yes, because Mass Effect Two is one of the best games but ever made. Three isn't. <laughs> three is not. Three is fine. Three is good. Is this a continuation of the series? It is. A, it's a like a reboot. Like they're starting a new timeline. The first three games are um, Shepard's story. Um, and then they're moving on to a new hero now. Oh, all right. So there could be crossover stuff while your old files transfer? Mm, I want to say that it takes place in the future. So I think that all of the old the old guard is dead. Okay. There'll probably be some cameos, I would think. I would probably find a way to do that. Okay, cool. And then at 46% of the, the votes, with no surprise to anyone, is The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which, I mean... I think that your results are skewed to Nintendo fans, personally, because that wasn't the top of my list. In fact, that might, that's probably number four for me on that list, actually. So I'm serious. Right, but I, I don't know if it's skewed to Nintendo fans or it's just skewed to people. I mean, the Legend of Zelda series is pretty popular, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, and I get that the other ones are, too, but this is Zelda we're talking about. And what they have shown so far does look quite phenomenal, I think. It looks really interesting. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I it's mean, gonna be, it's going to be. Uh, it's, it's definitely going to be a Zelda game that I buy, which I didn't buy Skyward Sword because I didn't think that looked very interesting. Right, and I'm excited as hell about the Switch. I mean, work was really slow today because it's you know the beginning of the year and there's not that much to do. If I could have busted out Final Fantasy 15 on my lunch break for an hour, 
that would have been phenomenal. But of course, I couldn't because I can't bring my PS4 to work and hook it up to it. Well, I could, but I'm not going to. So I probably should. Um, so, uh, well, there's a quick look at, tw- and I'm the most excited about the Switch probably. I, actually, what I'm most excited about is the fact that there aren't that many big games coming out in the next six months. Because I would like to kind of breathe a little bit with my gaming. Because when I get into a game, I really hit it hard. And I'm... Well, Resident Evil 7 comes out in like a month. I'm not going to play that, though. Right, but that's a big deal for me. No, for you. And then Horizon Zero Dawn comes out. Horizon Zero Dawn comes out in February, right? Now, Horizon Zero Dawn does come out in February, but I might not get it right away because I might wait for the reviews because after No Man's Sky... Because you don't like female leads in your games. No, it's okay. I understand. You don't think women should be the main character. Which is why my character in Final Fantasy XIV is a female Mikote. 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 Actually, I'm pretty excited about the new Final Fantasy XIV expansion. I'm not going to lie. Uh, what the hell is it called? Stormblood? Swornblood? Stormblood. It's called Stormblood. I'm not going to play it. So. Or Winterblood. I'll play it. And t- Here's one other thing I learned in, 20, in 2016. If you are starting a new MMO and your friend is starting a new MMO and you have another friend who's been playing the MMO for 15 years, join the server... Of the guy who's been playing for 15 years, because he's probably going to keep playing. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Because I joined your server thinking, oh, we can play together. And now you've got and now you've got to pay for a server transfer. And now I have to pay for, and I'm going to pay for a server transfer, because... Yeah, yeah no, nobody, so unless one of you chuckleheads starts to keep a similar schedule to the one that I am on... Nobody should really play around my schedule for playing games because nobody's going to wake up at four in the morning to play a game with me. Nobody's going to do that. Well, but even then, an MMO is a subscription model. So if you ever get burned out on the game or tired of it or want to take a break from it, you're gone. And if someone's been a subscriber for literally since its inception, which Brad has, and he's been – he was on our podcast reviewing the game, um, he's very likely going to be playing forever-ish. And yeah. so he'll be around. And no, I can't raid with him right now because I'm not that level, but I'll get there. You know, once I hit 60, like, cool, let's do this. Sure. So, uh, yeah, that was a – but, you know, it would have been nice to play with you. And I, I, it's funny. I did actually get accepted into your guild after, like, two weeks of having applied. But, uh, but uh, Or your free company, but I'll just join his. So, anyway – uh, looking forward to a wonderful 2017. I don't think anything could possibly go wrong in this country or anywhere else in the world. No, it's going to be great. It's going to be huge. And also this year, listener, you should check out the Gunna Geek Network. We're a member of the Gunna Geek Podcast Network. And there's geeky shows on it like All Things Good and Nerdy, which is a show that I've been on before. Great show. Huge show. On episode 241, they review Star Wars Rogue One. The ATGN crew is joined by some friends from the Gunna Geek Network to do a deep dive, spoiler-filled review on Star Wars Rogue One. This is actually their last show of 2016 I'm promoting, but, you know, check it out. But it has a special surprise, and friend of the show Keith created a custom holiday intro that you cannot miss. It's probably dirty. They're usually dirty. I assume you saw Rogue One? I saw it. Uh, I, I went with Wolfen. Did you like it? Did she like it? Did you like it? Did I like it? Uh, yeah, it was fine. Did you like it? I really liked it. Like, really? a lot. Really? I think it's probably my favorite Star Wars movie after Empire Strikes Back. Really? Mm-hmm. Really, really. 
Why? What's so good about it? Uh, I just found, I found the, like I found the lack of mysticism, Jedi stuff refreshing. Um, like I really enjoyed the battles in it. I really actually liked the characters, which surprised me. But I I know there's a huge discussion about the the fact that the characters people feel they're underdeveloped. I thought I thought that the everybody kind of knew how the story was going to end, and I I mean I I you kind of knew what you were signing up for, I think, with that group of characters, knowing that a new hope starts immediately following it. Yeah, I did like that new hope starts immediately immediately following it. I did not anticipate that. And I didn't know the fate of all the characters. I didn't know what would happen to them. I had an idea, but and I'm glad that they, they took a what I think was a brave direction for the series, the way that they resolved it. And I, I will say I think that the final battle sequence had more weight and import to it, and the stakes felt really high than any other battle in Star Wars. Like, you just you just felt it because the whole movie had built it up really well. I thought the middle kind of slumped a, a bit, and I thought the, the start was really erratic. The first 10 minutes is kind of incomprehensible, just jumps around a lot. And then it kind of balances, and it's a, it's a good start. I thought it lulled a bit in the middle, but, but it did. I mean, the last half hour is unbelievable. So I would say it's not as good as Mad Max Fury Road, but uh, or no, it's definitely better than Mad Max Fury Road, not as good as Easy Rider. What is Easy Rider? Doesn't matter. Hey, uh, also on the Gunna Geek Network, uh, the Doom Ninja podcast with one of our, our favorite people, Ryan Dombrowski. Check out his game Suburban Scavengers on Steam Greenlight and on that other platform, the indie game platform. Do you know what that's called? It's like something. Itch.io? Itchy. Is it itchy? It's, is it itch.io? Yeah, itch.io. Itch, itch.io. Okay, itch.io. Anyway, uh, itch.io. Episode 22 Gay Play Footage. This week on Doom Ninja Podcast, Nate discusses Devil Daggers, a fast-paced first-person shooter where survival is difficult. And Nate also gives his take on fantasy RPG Dragon Soul. Ryan rounds out the episode with some talk about the awesome multiplayer dungeon crawler Crawl and a brief holiday studio update. I have played Crawl. I played it with our friend Ryan of Daryl TV. I played Crawl with him really drunk one night. We split a bottle of whiskey, pretty much, and I don't remember it much. I was terrible at it, but I was drunk. So, so it was fun. There's that. Um, so there's that. Anyway, um, I'll let you wrap up the program. Oh, listen on the GunnaGeekNetwork.com, uh, or GunnaGeek.com. is where you can check out all those wonderful podcasts, including GameMyFalance.us. I mean, GameMyFalance.us. And as always... As always, I'll tell you, thank you for listening to the Game Life Balance US podcast, the American edition of the Game Life Balance podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe if you enjoyed this episode, and leave us a review if you really want to make our day. You can find us on Gunna Geek Network at GunnaGeek.com, or or, uh, on the official podcast network of Chicago's WGN Radio at WGNPlus.com. Learn more about Game Life Balance, including contact information and links to our sister show in Australia at GameLifeBalance.us. If this, if this coming year here is any uh anywhere close to as good as last year for video games for for me man i i'd be really pleased because it was a really good year for video games last year it won't be hey please tell your at least one friend who likes video games about our podcast we would love to have one new listener this year it would at least double our subscriber base Perhaps even triple it. I'm not even sure how that's math. I don't math. think that math, no, that math doesn't make sense. Doesn't matter. In fact, that's not math. 
just just tell one friend and yeah and then maybe we'll stop begging you to tell people it doesn't matter doesn't matter it doesn't matter (laughs) but i made it pun you make more dad jokes than i do